Hey, happy Friday, everybody. Um, I'm coming to you from Newport Beach, California this morning. It's great to be with you at Hollywood Breaks. And as always, I want to introduce Keith to you. And Keith, we have a special guest this morning. So uh, why don't you take us off here? We do. And woe for you, Tim, for being in Newport Beach. I'm up here in freezing Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So good for you, buddy. Thanks, man. Uh, anyway, great to be with you. Uh, I'm very excited to welcome a very special guest today, um, a good friend of mine from my Fox days, Sean Heron who is the Chief Business Officer at Gearbox Software. Uh, Sean and I have known each other for quite a few years now. Uh, we met, as I said, at Fox, uh, working in into the High Potential Leadership Program. Um, and that's sort of where we minted our friendship and uh, we've stayed in touch ever since then. Sean is now uh, decamped into the beautiful uh, land of Dallas, Texas. Um, so he's probably a little warmer than me but not as warm as Tim. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, Sean and I have a lot of connections even before we met at Fox. He went to college about an hour down uh, 81 from me in Virginia. Um, he's from New England, which we won't hold against him. And we really won't hold against him that he's actually a Patriots fan. So we'll just oh, yeah. that all together. Although I, I can celebrate that now because they suck this year. So we can all be <laughs> happy about that. But anyway. Yeah, should we say uh, go Buccaneers? Is this not the right time to say go Buccaneers? No, I'm, 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 a, I'm a pro Tom Brady fan. I'll always be a Brady fan. Oh, yeah. Good for you. But I'm not a not. I'm still a Patriot fan, so I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we'll, like, I, like I said, we'll ignore all that. It's fair. Uh, so uh, thanks for joining us, Sean. Great to have you with us. So um, why don't you tell a little bit, uh, some of our viewers, a little bit about yourself. And I kind of gave a little bit of your background, but you can obviously fill in some of the, the finer points. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, and congratulations on your 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 new ventures, uh, Keith and Tim. This is really fun medium, so I appreciate getting a chance to to talk. Um, of course. So yeah, uh, my name is Sean. I, I work at Gearbox Software. Um, before joining Gearbox, I jumped around a bit after college. Had a job at the Federal Reserve. Was a consultant for a bit, and decided to get an MBA at USC, thinking that I wanted to work for like a giant conglomerate and ended up um, stumbling into entertainment. Most people seek it out and I kind of uh, got really lucky. Um, ended up doing a case competition, which people do when they wanna do more work, I guess. And the client was Fox. And uh, a lot of the senior leaders at 20th Century Fox were the clients of this competition and um, got a chance to meet them. They got a chance to meet me and they asked if I'd be interested in potentially working with them after business school. Um, I, I had never considered working uh, in entertainment and, 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 and then I seriously questioned why not. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of film and television. It's kind of a passion of mine. So had a chance to join uh, 20th Century Fox in the home entertainment division, working in finance. Um, got a chance to uh, join a high potential program. That's where Keith and I met and a few other folks, which was a great experience. Got to work on products and brands that I uh, held dearly as a, as a child, be it Star Wars or James Bond or Aliens or Die Hard. So it was kind of a, uh, you know, a pinch me moment where, you know, realizing that you, you could pursue your passions and, and, and actually make a career out of it. Um, after about four years, I got recruited to join Marvel Studios um, right around the end of phase one. If you're a fan of Marvel, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, as uh, heading up is dev for everything outside of like film, television, toys um, and comics. Um, so things like location-based entertainment, like theme parks and uh, arena tours. And so I got to build that business, but the most of the time I spent was working on the games business was, uh, and ultimately that was another aha moment that you could work on something that was 
you know, who had passion for and loved as a kid and an adult. And, uh, and, and I learned that I really loved the industry. Um, I, I, yeah. Enjoyed, yeah. Um, so I enjoyed working in film and television, but I, I, I found that the, the, the environment and gaming was even more um, exciting and, and it was closer to kind of my values. Um, yeah, um, I'm going to say, Sean, I think you just pissed off a whole bunch of people in that fact that you didn't even try to get in the entertainment industry. And then you landed in some of the most premier jobs that anybody wants to have on the planet in this industry, yes. going from Fox and those elements, especially when Star Wars was under, under their, that realm. Yep. And then moving on to Marvel. Are you serious? And then finally getting into this, uh, the gaming world. Um, I think that term high potential leadership, I don't, I, clearly they knew how to pick the right people because the, the two of you guys are, uh, they, they, uh, they knew how to choose the cream of the crop, didn't they? Well, uh, are you saying Keith and I are on the same level? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Here we go. Yeah. This, maybe this is, Sean, maybe this is why you were the last of Keith's friends in that uh, group to be Mark of mine. I, I, I won't I won't say anything more. Um, yeah, I mean, Tim, I, I think exceptionally lucky and, and blessed, right? I, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into being in the right place at the right time. And, and fortunately, I, I was. Um, and when it came to Marvel it was another passion, you know, collected comic books. It was just being a geek and then being around the film studio and the TV studio as they're kind of ascending and taking off like a rocket. And then trying to imagine the games business as being something that could stand next to those amazing mm -hmm. products and teams was the aspirational goal. So, uh, you know, doing a lot to pivot the game, our games business to think of mobile as, as a, a big opportunity and doing mobile free to play is at scale was a big strategy and pivot. But the other one was, how do we bring the console business uh, forward to something that should live up to the kind of standards that are the film and television division have done and, and, Part of that was getting rights back uh, from folks who weren't really exploiting them the way we hoped, and then finding new partners that can um, build games that that can kind of live up to that brand. And I'd like to say we had some successes along the way. I think you know the the, the this Marvel Spider-Man on PlayStation is a great example, and they just had another iterations with Miles Morales, which had was a huge hit. And and there's a bunch of games that are now kind of living living closer to the, the this brand standard. And you know that team is good friends of mine, and you know I, I wish them the best. And I ended up moving on all the way into gaming, working at Riot Games for a stint before I ended up uh, being recruited to uh, join Gearbox and moving from California to, to Texas. And I've been here about three years now. So tell me if you guys think like this. Um, you know, if, if, if I kind of could live at certain times of the industry, it'd be, you know, living in those early days of the comic book world where like these characters are just being developed. It was a small group of people with a, with just trying to do, you know, live out their passion or whatever. And now we know today is a billion dollar industry and, and Marvel gets bought and the whole Stanley story. Or, you know, playing out those blockbuster days with uh, George Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola, that, those, those first blockbuster moments. Again, a very small group of people you know, the, the stories of them just renting the house in Malibu and then they all go off to make Star Wars and, and all the, the amazing features that they made. Jaws, of course, and, and all those major features. So I, I think about those moments and think like, wow, those are like pivotal moments, turning points within certain industries. It'd be great to be part of it. And then Sean, I, I think about the career that you lived and I think you might be one of those people that saw that transition, that's feeling that exponential growth, that really doesn't, it can't continue. So it has, it's only a, a certain time period and some people are lucky to be part of an industry and feel that. 
Um, do you kind of, can you make that comparison and do you think that you can feel that? Is that something that you can retain and feel or do you feel like you just go to work every day and you'll remember it maybe or people remember it in fond memories looking back? Um, I, I, uh, I mean, did I have a crystal ball? No. Um, but when, you know, when initially when I started working at Marvel and we started uh, kind of putting efforts towards like what mobile could be, um, especially since there's such a huge install base and a huge opportunity to reach way more gamers than ever before, like, and then seeing the results of that where like literally millions of people are playing your game every day, you're like, wow, that's, to have that level of engagement, that's the power of interactive entertainment, right? Is that you're, you know, there's not a passive medium. You're sitting back and enjoying it. No, you're interacting with it every day or potentially multiple times per day when you think of how people interact with their mobile devices. Um, seeing that, that, and then also the generational shift, like seeing people grow who grew up playing games and that is their main form of entertainment and watch gaming on Twitch and then, you know, either play esports or watch it. And, and I think the, you know, I think the moment where I felt it, literally felt it, was when I was at Riot and we went to, uh, we were doing the North America Esports Championships in Madison Square Garden. And the place sold out um, in like, you know, three shows in like minutes, right? And I'm sitting in this arena, you know, and I'm a huge basketball fan, and to be in the temple, right? Uh, but have it be filled with like 10 to 20 year old kids going eight, going crazy over, over you know, an esport. And then standing next to ushers who've been working there for like 30, 40 years. And they're leaning to me in, in a New York accent saying, what is this? I've never seen this. I've seen Billy Joel. I've seen the who I've seen Rolling Stones. This is crazy. What is this? Yeah. And, and then at like literally asking me questions because they were legit curious about like, what's this phenomenon, what they're experiencing in firsthand. And, and that, and that just reminded me of like the power of, of gaming and it's, it's, it, and, and the potential it has to be, you know, literally the, the, the most important form of entertainment in the planet maybe ever created. And being part of that is, is, is pretty fantastic. That's really awesome. I would also say that, interestingly enough, when Tim, uh, when Sean and I were actually working on our Hypo project, it was actually about mobile gaming. Yeah, how Fox should actually lean into mobile gaming and get more involved. And we kind of got laughed off. The, we, we didn't get laughed off the stage. Everyone was like, wow, it was really good. But then it, they never really enacted it. And then it's interesting to see that Sean ultimately ends up in that field uh, when he was heavily involved in sort of crafting that presentation in the early days before gaming really, like this was in the early days of mobile gaming and really took off. And I can also testify to the, the, the when I was at Riot, I actually visited Sean at Riot and they had the game up in the lunchroom. And, when, and it was playing live and when something would happen, everyone would get up and cheer. And it was just like being in that environment, it was, it was surreal because it was, it was, they were all into it. Everybody was excited about it. And it was actually a really cool experience. So I can kind of testify to what your New Yorkers were feeling when they were in Madison Square Garden because I kind of felt the same way. Sort of like, wow, this is actually becoming something legit. Yeah, it's so incredible. I, I honestly, uh, when I went from doing title sequences, at one point uh, a game company came and asked me if I do title sequences for a game. And I thought to myself, why would I ever do that? Like I was in the middle of future films and I didn't see the rise kind of early, late nineties, I guess this was, um, to see the rise of what it was going to be. Um, and, and Sean, to your, to your, one of your points you made is like the people's interaction with your content, the game content, more people will, will interact with a game on a daily basis than will go see a future film one time in the theater, in the theaters. That, that one component alone of like how entrenched that, 
game is part of pop culture and will be part of people's nostalgic memory as they grow up and develop things. And then not just to mention the potential that's still left available in, in this industry. There's just so much more to do and to um, be part of. It's, it's so exciting. Um, some of the evolution that I think that, so what we'd like to focus on in Hollywood Breaks is like the things that are shifting and that shift, not just being something we lament, like, you know, we, we love those days and they're kind of gone, but also recognize right. they're huge opportunities. Um, and clearly with uh, some of your experience there, you, you're kind of feeling those opportunities. Um, as, you're, as you're thinking about the, the gaming industry right now, what are the larger investments you see uh, either Gearbox making or other people making that you know are going to, that they're stealing this pandemic moment and are leaning in, are, are gonna make uh, even you know, greater land grabs? Yeah, I think I think the pandemic accelerated trends that already existed, like you know the fact that people play games for entertainment, for socialization, for comp competition, for um, for a lot of different reasons, and it just you know put gasoline on the fire. And I think uh, the industry grew over twenty percent during a pandemic, which is pretty crazy. And and so I, I don't think any of the, the really all it does is just accelerate trends. But like the things that I get most excited about um, is the ability to connect gaming communities together. Um, historically, you know, uh, ecosystems were, you know, siloed, right? You're a PC player, you're a console player, or in within console, you're an Xbox player or a PlayStation player. It's like, oh, I'm a mobile gamer. I'm an Android player. I'm an Apple player. And, but there's literally 4 billion gamers around the world. And now there's this, now there's a path for those, those channels to be connected and games to actually play, be played, not only globally, but across all these platforms simultaneously. And, and I think, like Fortnite's probably the most visible, obvious example is that, yeah. you know, it's the most popular game in the world. And I'd say it's the most powerful entertainment franchise in the world right now in terms of its, its, its power, its relevance and, and what they've been able to do. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that you could play it on your phone, you could play on your computer, you could play it on your console. And you, so you can literally play it anytime you want at any time. And, and so that, that technology didn't really exist before. And now it does. It's called crossplay. And so I think that's going to be a trend that you're going to continue to see in games that kind of take advantage of the technology to find ways of connecting communities is huge. Um, the other is naturally, oh, sorry, you were going to, you're going to jump in there. Oh, no, no, you go, I want to hear the last thing. Sure. The other one is uh, naturally is that um, more and more markets are opening up to, to becoming gamers, right? And you think of kind of the evolution of like, say, China, for example, is, is mobile and PC was kind of the entry point for, for all most gamers there and free to play, like right? because not, you know, in terms of the economic uh, the opportunity associated with buying something for $60 or trying something for free. That's the beauty of gaming is that it's always been on the cutting edge of not only technology and creativity, but also commerce, like business models kind of meshing together. That creates a ton of risk and scariness, but also amazing opportunity. And now you see China being bigger than, you know, North America in terms of its overall size and gaming. And, and now that market's opening up to even more premium experiences as uh, consumers get older, have more disposable income, they're not looking for free-to-play games, they're looking for more premium ones too. So, so, so that evolution will take place in other places like India, and, and, and which has a massive population. So I really just think we're, you could just ride the tailwind and, and be successful. But um, so there's just so much more to do and more gamers uh, to find and entertain. And that's kind of Gearbox's mission at, at its heart. So. That's exciting. incredible. Isn't it, isn't it incredible? Like, uh, because there isn't any other trajectory that we see um, or in the entertainment space, that's that same trajectory. Um, and most people are, I feel like, are talking about in the preservation space or some kind of uh, micro evolution. Um, 
even Netflix as gigantic as that is, it really is somewhat of a, a series of micro evolutions. Um, it, it's just a replacement for Blockbuster if you think about it. Um, it has a very long tail conception to it and we can consume it more regularly. I wasn't binge watching Blockbuster VHS tapes back in the day at $2 a pop or whatever it was. Um, but uh, the, really this, the trajectory that gaming is on um, and those evolutions, um, if you think about it as an entertainment venue, it really is the most powerful uh, entertainment and entertainment space that we're kind of uh, experiencing today. Yeah, I, I, one of my personal theories, and I don't think I'm being revolutionary in saying this, that I think the next great gaming company, the, the great, next great entertainment company is going to be a gaming company. Like the flywheel uh, can be a game and everything can kind of drive from that. Um, will it be Gearbox or Epic or some company we've never heard of like TBD? But um, it, it is the form of entertainment that more and more people are gravitating to as their primary one. And, and, and it has the ability to take quantum leaps and, and evolve because of those three things mashing together constantly pushes us to think about what's next. And you know, people talk about VR and streaming and all these other emergent technologies that open up new opportunities and more and more gamers over time. So you know, taking advantage of those things as they emerge and evolve creates even more potential to reach more gamers. Yeah, I would even say argue, arguably they currently are the more powerful entertainment industries. I, I mean, obviously Disney has a certain um, position that they're they're smart enough to consume the next trends as they grow their in their enterprise. Right. But someone like Riot, they're already in almost every space from, from the live entertainment space to um, yeah. the whole gaming space. And what's so interesting to me, and Keith, I, you were talking about this earlier, just how gaming and say, we'll say like traditional media or old media, I don't know what that would be, what, we'd, what we're gonna start calling this uh, yeah. thing that we grew up in anymore. Right. They're kind of, they're playing off each other. The games are becoming films, the films are becoming games. I mean, there it's, you know, yeah. all, this, all this entire space is blending together. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that he, uh, Sean mentioned sort of how the pandemic sort of forced a lot of changes that were sort of already in the making. And we've talked a lot about that here in, uh, on this show, but also it seems that, that all those changes were all in the positive, whereas with sort of the traditional media, where it'd be theaters or whatnot, all these changes have been viewed sort of in the negative and have done a lot of some negative damage to the business, the traditional business as a whole, whereas obviously with gaming, it really has just grown and become this whole nother beast. And I think Sean nailed it on the head was sort of like the interactive part of it, I think is very important. Um, the idea of just sitting in a theater for two and a half hours and just staring at a screen is becoming almost sort of like obsolete in a lot of ways, you know, because you can watch them, you know, see them sitting in a net, at Netflix at home. You can pause it, you can get up, you can do what you want. So you're controlling it. You're in control. And it's very similar to a game. Like you're in control, you're participating, you control your level of involvement. And I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of the streamers. It's sort of becoming that thing. And it's interesting with the Disney aspect of it. Disney hasn't always been that successful creating their own games, um, but you know, licensing, they do a little bit better with licensing, but they haven't necessarily been knocking it out of the park as far as creating their own games. But I, I think you're definitely right. Oh, they right. just own the IP. When you own Star Wars own, and Marvel, yeah, exactly. your game wins because you have the characters, right? Yeah. So I'd be interested to know, like, you know, cause you are, you know, Gearbox Software. Is there, you know, I read some of the releases about um, the shows that you have coming out, Brothers in Arms and whatnot. And it said Gearbox Entertainment. So is yeah. that starting to become evolve as part of like Gearbox software? You're going to have like a separate 
entity that's going to start like licensing or is there an idea that maybe eventually you'll just start making your own stuff? I mean, I think Brothers in Arms might be an example of that, but I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about how you guys are already starting to sort of evolve into that space. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think Gearbox Software is obviously the most known uh, brand right. that people associate with us. And that's, you know, the teams that make our, our AAA games, like Borderlands, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but we're all entertainers at heart. Like my CEO is, is, you know, he's a passion for entertainment and entertaining the world is literally our mission statement, which is audacious, but exciting and scary all at the same time. So we said, well, if that's going to be our mission, maybe we should imagine an umbrella brand that kind of gives us the ability to start thinking differently outside of just like interactive software. And so that's where the Gearbox Entertainment um, company uh, branding came from. Um, and and, and our, since, since we are creators of intellectual property, we, we're already starting imagining how we want to uh, bring that to, to different mediums. Um, you know, we, we've got a vibrant licensing business, t-shirt, toys, et cetera. Uh, that we're pretty proud of and we're growing, but like, can can our IP live in things like film and television? And you know, the, some of the the beauty of the the streaming culture is that there's way more opportunities for content to to find a home, right? Before it was a handful of major studios, and you had to fit within a certain model, and and they they would want to make it work for their audience, and the audience was always going to be a certain box that you had to play in. And now you got streamers that literally have like the tons of microcosms of communities, like little niches that they're all trying to serve with different types of content, which opens the, the floodgates for game, uh, content that they weren't looking at before. And um, so we're, uh, uh, we're, we're in the process of kind of tackling that in different ways. Uh, are we ready to start making our own movies? No. I mean, I think we're humble enough to know what we're good at and yeah. what we're not. I think we're more interested in working with best and breed partners in places that we're not good at in order to imagine the best version of our IP being applied there. Um, so in the case of like Borderlands, uh, it's uh, right now it's being developed by Lionsgate, Ari uh, Arad Productions is our producers, Ari and Avi Arad are, you know, legends and taking comic books to bring in the movies. And they've been fantastic partners with for us and, and kind of imagining what a Borderlands film would look like. And we had some pretty amazing announcements around the progress there. You know, we've got a we got a director, Eli Roth, who's fantastic. We had to spend a lot of time with him and he gets the IP and he's super passionate about it. Kate Blanchett is the lead. I mean, can you get any better than yeah, that's a movie star? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Star. there you go. And, uh, and Craig and Craig Mazin wrote the script, right? And, and people think of Craig Mazin as like Chernobyl guy now because that show is one of the most horrifying things you've ever seen, but it's true, right? It's, right. So it's amazing. And then you're like, oh, wait, he wrote The Hangover too. So he has that great balance of like drama and com comedy so we've got like this dream team boltroning up and and it's going to happen which is pretty amazing in this environment and um and then we have a couple other boats in the water where we decide to take a different approach where we're investing in the development right we're working with a, a producer that believes in our vision uh, marla studios and jj baronet um you know he, he's mostly known for being attached to assassin creed but he worked at Eurocom oh, yeah. corp and he helped build Ubisoft's film and television di division, and he's a super passionate uh, gamer and thinks that's the next big thing when it comes to film and television. And we're working with him on a Brothers in Arms TV series, what that's attached with Scott Rosenbaum, and he's the he's been the you know the showrunner on big shows like uh, Queen of the South and V, and he's also worked on Chuck and Shield, so he's got a ton of credibility. We've got a fantastic uh, script and pilot that we think we think is really exciting and true to the IP, but also should be great for, for linear uh, streaming. And then we got a Duke Nukem live action film, 
you know, big bombastic. Are you serious? Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to reimagine that 90s icon in today. It's a pretty fun challenge. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people like point to the fact that he's a dinosaur and a relic, and but that actually creates a lot of comedy and excitement and action. And, and if you do it in the right way, it could be a, it could be something that's super relevant today. And you only have to look to the success of Cobra Kai to realize that you can exactly. obviously re reimagine a older property in today's in today's uh, world and make it work spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we got a great script from Evan uh, Daughtry. Uh, he created uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, he's worked on Di uh, Divergent and uh, the Tomb Raider uh, film. And, and so he, he's a super gamer. Like the first time we met him, he opened his laptop and he had like decals of all like iconic video game guys on the back of it. And so, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to find folks that, that understand the IP, love the IP. And, and by investing in the development of it, we were able to have more control over what we think is the best representation of it. But we're, we're not dictating what that is. Um, we want other people's visions to be applied to it. Uh, but we think by having a, a tighter tighter reins, we, we could avoid some of the missteps that have happened historically when video games get applied to that medium. Yeah. Um, in its success, you know, there's always a chance of failure, but we think that path for some of our IPs is the, the, the preferred one. It well, sounds like you, oh, go ahead, Keith. No, no, I was just going to say, like, it seems like you have, um, you, you've been really smart, much like what I've always admired about Kevin Feige, because I worked. I also worked a little bit with their rods when I was at New Line, when we were working on, before Paramount snapped it up in the Marvel acquisition, Iron Man. We were working on, I was working on the first draft of that script, which ultimately ended up being what the movie was. But what was really smart about Kevin Feige was he always, and he still does to this day, find someone who respects the IP and understands it and is a fan and is going to respect not only the mythology of it, but also how it can evolve to meet today's market. And it, it's really hard to find talent like that. And it seems you guys are definitely going down that same route where you're being very smart and judicious about who you hire and making sure they are fans of the IP, they understand the IP. I mean, we've all seen what's happened with DC where you have someone like a, um, a Snyder who um, just, kind of doesn't you can tell he's not a big fan and it, it shows in the quality of the product and what he does to the characters whereas you guys have obviously realized the importance of that and i think that's great now video games licensed to film and tv have been a little uneven because yeah. they haven't exactly produced the highest quality uh product but coming off the success of the witcher on netflix you know obviously you guys have sort of captured a moment and you know as we talked about a little bit on this podcasts and previous episodes we're sort of moving away from the comic book era because there's only so many characters to go around and what's left you have this rich ip from video game world right. and all it takes is like another success like the witcher and then all of a sudden it's just going to be like a flood of you know opportunities for that for that ip to find it to find a new audience yeah well i, I mean there's two things that pump come to mind when we say that one of the reasons of like the trans the translation has not always worked is because when you're playing video games you are the hero you're the one that moves the, the, the story forward. Yeah. And the story is usually in service of gameplay, right? Like the game, the, really the thing that matters most is how fun is the interaction, the game to game, the moment to moment gameplay. And then how do we create stories and characters that help move people through those, those experiences. But at the end of the day, you're the hero. So how do you then you take something like that, that's yeah. into something that is more passive and, and, and it's a real big challenge and it's not, it's not easy to fix. And, the second thing is I think there's already a land grab going on for, for you know, game IP. 
uh, we get pinged often about like, hey, what do you got? And the thing there is uh, from my experience working at Marvel about like the dangers of, of licensing is, you know, is one is like it could be sitting on a shelf, right? Like you say, yeah, yeah, take it, go do what you want. And then it becomes one of the 15 things they're working on and maybe it doesn't get paid attention to. Yeah. Um, and then you, then you lose that control along the way. And then, and then, you know, we're in this environment where you're like, walk up to, you know, a Netflix or an Amazon, here's a Chinese menu of options you could pick from. That scares me from, you know, in terms of like authenticity and how that actually is going to manifest in something that's going to be good. So that's why we've been done, done a few things on our own um, versus just being like, yeah, we'll take that upfront check and go figure it out on your own. Um, Cause we really care about what comes in. It's not necessarily about the money. It's really about like, how, do, how are we treating our IP? And then ultimately how we're treating our fans by giving them more expressions of that IP is way more important to us. Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting is that um, just in the way we talk, the three of us talk about this, we still somewhat separate and probably at a necessity for today, we still separate some of the, the film and the television and the gaming as different components of the entertainment industry. And so a gaming company has to license or start a new venture completely in order to kind of fill in those other domains, the, the feature film domain and, and what have you. Um, and I just, I have a feeling that those worlds are actually blending closer and closer together. I think we're redefining what a feature film is, just with the level of visual effects, the, the type of uh, effects that they're doing, the opportunities that the filmmakers have, and then and, and coming from game and game technology. And then the gaming IP that, again, touches so many people all day long and gets them in and out of entertainment space much quicker and much easier than sitting down and have to consume an entire hour and a half of something. Um, like they're, they're, I have this feeling that the game world is going to become the entertainment space overall. And I don't know if that's a, a five-year plan or a 10-year kind of venture to get something that way. But I would imagine inside of your company, Sean, just not having it be such separate silos and blending that into almost like distribution channels more than uh, creation or content development channels. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think part of the challenge is um, the, you know, the cultural clashes of, of how those things fit or don't fit. And I think Keith mentioned Disney as an example is that the, the, the culture that's required to create really compelling interactive entertainment is so different than say a consumer product driven company or, or a film and television driven company in terms of the processes in which they go through to create things and the pressure to hit certain targets and work quarterly earnings. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't create the environment you need to really get the right talent to lean in and create something truly great. Um, and so how, how long does it take for those cultures to find a fit that, that makes sense? And maybe it's a video game company that really pushes the model to, to evolve and change but there's a ton of learning uh, on, on, on the other side of the fence. Like I can't imagine us being ready to go make a film ourselves knowing how to do that. But I think there's a path to learning how to do that. Just like the, the Marvel comics team mm -hmm. through their partnerships eventually became experts in, in actually making the films themselves. But it took them many years before they did that. And then ultimately a big check from Lehman Brothers uh, to, to kind of go imagine it, right? Yeah, so, but I, I just imagine it being almost like a generational thing too. Like the, yeah. the 20 year old filmmaker today grew up only playing video games that you and I dreamed of, of playing when we were in our twenties. So that generational gap of the development, they, it just blends so much easier. I, honestly, you know, it's probably us just getting out of the way. Uh, yeah. uh, the three of us that think are the, our generation that thinks of them as separate and then the next generation coming in, 
that's why I wonder if it's just like a oh, I, I, 10 I, I years we'll be talking very differently. So, yeah. Totally agree. I think the comic book analogy is the best version. It's like the ones who ended up making the best versions of those movies are the ones that grew up reading comic books and were massive fans, right? And then they, and they're, and they have entertainment, you know, film was their, their, their occupation, but they took their passions and their, and their, with them along the way. And you're right. Like the next generation of filmmakers will be gamers, right? And yeah. they'll, they'll have different sensibilities. Uh, so I, I, I think you're spot on. Okay, we we can talk about this all day, but as always, I have to kind of cut these conversations off as the responsible adult in the room, especially with you two and the banter that you can keep up. I'm pretty sure that I oh, yeah. uh, I could be here for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, what I want to do, Sean, is I, I think we just began a conversation. And honestly, a lot of the conversations that we have right now um, in Hollywood Breaks is just trying to blend and create and think through these opportunities and I can just hear your mind at work in so many ways recognizing, um, probably because you've lived through these transitions and you can kind of recall what it was like to think and understand uh, feature film marketing, television, um, IP, that kind of stuff in that space that you're in into a whole new landscape. Uh, I wanna invite you back on and talk about some of these other evolutions that are taking place in the industry. Uh, thank you all for being here and being part of it. Lydia, behind the scenes, uh, you're such a blessing to, to be there making this happen every week. So thanks for doing that. Um, and I look forward to so many more of these conversations. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Hollywood Breaks right now, wherever you're watching this thing. We'd love to have you come back and see more of this information. And we'll see you next week at Hollywood Breaks. Take care.